Welcome to the Embassy of Ireland podcast series. In honor of St. Bridget's Day, we are celebrating the story of Elizabeth Barnes, the Witch of Plum Hollow, profiled by Ambassador Eamon McKee and read by Pat Marshall. We hope you enjoy. For a woman to earn the moniker Mother Barnes, the Witch of Plum Hollow, some mystery must surround her. Elizabeth Barnes earned a reputation as a fortune teller and finder of lost objects that spread far beyond the farming district near Brockville on the St. Lawrence River where she lived in frugality. Claims that she was the seventh daughter of a seventh daughter were said to explain her powers. While that helped affirm her powers for some, her fame and earnings during her active decades were generated by satisfied customers in a remarkable display of economic agency by an immigrant single mother. Born in 1800 in County Cavan to a landlord and British Army colonel and a mother said to be of Spanish descent, Jane Elizabeth Martin was a strikingly beautiful child. Admirably willful too. When faced with an arranged marriage to an older man, Elizabeth eloped with a young soldier, Sergeant Robert Harris, or Harrison, to the United States in 1820. They settled in Coburg in Canada, established a tannery, and had a son, Joseph. However, sadly, Robert died seven years later in 1827. About four years after that, Elizabeth married David Barnes, a cobbler from Connecticut. Six sons were born, four of whom would survive childhood, and three daughters. By 1843, they had settled on a farm in Sheldon's Corners, Ontario, a hub of United Empire loyalists. David eventually deserted her and moved to Smith's Falls with their youngest son, David Jr., reuniting there with an older child, Sam, who later became Reeve and Mayor. Elizabeth began to monetize her reputation as a soothsayer to make ends meet, receiving clients in her tiny cottage for 25 cents a sitting. A young journalist dubbed her the Witch of Plum Hollow, which was a nearby location. Kindly and slight of frame, with penetrating pale eyes and wearing a black dress and shawl, she swirled tea leaves to divine answers to her clients' concerns. Some were unnerved by her penetrating assessments of them. Whatever transacted between her and those motivated by curiosity or desperation to see her, word of mouth ensured her fame, even across the border in the United States. The situation was ripe with storytelling potential. To a young lawyer, she predicted that the capital of a future candidate would be Ottawa and promised him fame as its leader. And this was the future Prime Minister, John A. Macdonald. Said to possess the power of recovering lost objects, she was said to have identified the location of the remains of Morgan Dockstadter, as well as his murderer, cousin Edgar Harter, who was convicted and hanged in Brockville. From lost sheep and horses to marriage prospects, Mother Barnes had an uncanny ability to impress her clients and they the capacity to fulfill her predictions. Some skepticism and closer inspection suggests that willing assumptions about her powers trumped mundane explanations. By the time of MacDonald's consultation, for example, he was the coming man in the Conservative Party and Confederation was on the horizon. 
Ottawa was speculated as the new capital and duly announced in December 1857. Elizabeth had a lifetime of experience to bring to her assessments of marriage prospects as young lovers opened their hearts to her wise counsel. As for lost objects, she had many, many intimate sources of information to tap. Mother Barnes was more crime solver than witch, restoring both stolen property and social harmony. If the gullible or curious were prepared to pay 25 cents, they got their money's worth, not through magic, but wisdom and experience. Mother Barnes' wisdom, no doubt, helped the many Irish streaming into the area during and after the famine, notably the tenantry of the Culatin estate. Elizabeth amassed no fortune, but used her earnings to support her family and some orphans as well. Seven children, 47 grandchildren and 14 great-grandchildren were there to mourn her death. She was buried in an unmarked grave in Sheldon Corners Cemetery in 1891. In former times, the label witch could have had dire consequences. By the mid-19th century, the balance had swung toward toleration from seances to automatic writing, from scientific experiments to photography, Victorians were as fixated on the occult as they were on science. Against the backdrop of popular fiction by Arthur Conan Doyle and Bram Stoker, Elizabeth's fame owed as much to this Victorian Gothic sensibility as her predictive abilities. Yet, her real success was survival against daunting odds, marketing and monetizing her hard-won expertise. Two years before her death, she chuckled to a journalist <laughs> that, I'm a bit of a fraud. By then, her record and repute were unassailable. On her death, the Ottawa Free Press respectfully and more accurately mourned her passing as the wise woman of Plum Hollow, noting that she had become an institution. Her reputation was burnished in 1892 when a local writer, Thaddeus Levitt, published his short novel, The Witch of Plum Hollow. Mother Barnes' enduring fame encouraged some locals to erect a headstone at the cemetery. Today, her tiny cottage has been restored from near ruin and can be seen from the road that bears her name. Mother Barnes managed to achieve economic agency in the only way she knew how. She represents countless other women who wielded influence unseen in the pages of history. Most were denied remembrance, their lives of hard work, caring, intergenerational child-rearing, agency and resilience forgotten or dismissed. Even those women who achieved distinction were far less likely to feature in the histories of Canada than men who achieved less. Albeit in folklore and in the modest remains of her cottage, Mother Barnes scored another distinctive success in the mere fact that she and her life are remembered today. In its own way, that was a bit of magic. <laughs>